Well, good morning, Grace Gospel Church. It's good to be back preaching. Uh, we want to um, thank you all from the bottom of our hearts for your prayers and support while we were away on the missions field. Um, and we would love to share more, um, but unfortunately, we're, we're really trying to be very, very careful and love our brothers and sisters uh, the best way we can. The country we went to has a lot of um, problems and anti-conversion laws and things, and so we really want to be careful to not um, endanger our brothers and sisters over there, but we can say that we were able to train uh, both men and women how to study the Bible there. We did a conference. We were able to do a VBS, a vacation Bible school, with some of the kids. We were able to visit uh, a very poverty-stricken area and support a pastor over there who's reaching out and preaching the gospel to that community. And uh, we, were, we were very encouraged ourselves, and the, the, all, of, all of the pastors were certainly encouraged as well. So it was... Uh, very good experience, very challenging, and also we were able to, the, the, the pastor over there is able to get Bibles into that country, which is the most important, and that blessed me. He was able to get thousands and thousands of Bibles into that country. So uh, it was a great work, and it was great encouragement, but uh, nonetheless, we are glad to be back, and again, we thank you for all of your prayers while we were away. So last week, we met together, Paul Johnson had shared from us from Exodus chapter 6 and 7, in which God tells Moses to go to Pharaoh and begin this process by which he would bring his people out. And last week marks the beginning of the, the coming of the ten plagues as the means by which God would both take his people out of Egypt and reveal who he was to the Egyptians. Uh, and I believe our passage today is... is Related to last week's, uh, is there a lot of feedback in this mic? I'm sure they know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have to tell them that they're, they're, they're on it. Those guys are great. Um, I believe this passage this week relates to the passage last week. Because last week was the promise of all of these plagues. And now we're towards the end of the plagues. And there's this tenth plague that is being described that is still to come. And uh, so, so here's what's been happening. The plagues have been continuing onward since chapter 7, and we've, we've seen this undeniable theme that's been taking place throughout all of this of the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. And even in our, our passage today, it shows up in verse 10. It says, The Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the sons of Israel go out of his land. Now, it's important to note that how this hardening was taking place is not as important in the narrative as to why it is taking place and the purpose of this hardening of Pharaoh's heart and this rejection and, and not letting the Israelites go and this judgment, it's clear. Chapter 7 uh, also uh, tells us that this was done, right? It says, but I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that I may multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. And verse 5 tells us it's because God wants to be known, Moreover, even in our passage, in, in verse 9, in chapter 11, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Why? So that my wonders will be multiplied in the land of Egypt. This whole section, this narrative that is taking place, all of the plagues, everything that is, that is happening is flowing from a desire for God to reveal himself through his wonders to others. He wants to make 
his name known, that, that they would understand who Yahweh, the great I am, actually is. And Pharaoh's rejection of God and subsequent judgment was important for how this would play out and how this would happen. Uh, here's an interesting observation about Egyptian culture. The Pharaoh was not just a ruler uh, among, among men. He was seen as the embodiment of Ra, the false Egyptian god. Pharaoh, the fake god of Egypt, is set in his ways, thinking he is the ruler of all of the earth. And it's going to be revealed, and it's going to be abundantly clear by the bringing out of the Israelites from Egypt that this is not a work of an earthly ruler, but it flows, that the work that was happening flows from a covenantal God who is supreme and rules far above Pharaoh. The Lord is revealing his sovereignty through, through his rule against Pharaoh, who is not God and is stubbornly resisting God's sovereign rule and for his people, who has, he has freely showed favor upon. Here's what I believe the passage we're going to look at this morning is, is teaching us. It's, it's going to reveal God. It's going to reveal God as the one who wants us to know him as the sovereign ruler of all. He wants us to know him as the ruler. You can't separate the concept of God from the concept of ruler. That is what he is revealing as he is both bringing his people out and bringing these plagues upon Pharaoh and Egypt. So let's now read the passage together and see exactly how this comes about. So if you're able, please stand for the reading of the word of God. Going to be in Exodus chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. Verse 1 says, Now the Lord said to Moses, One more plague I will bring on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will assuredly drive you out from here completely. Speak now so that the people hear that each man is to ask of his neighbor and each woman of her neighbor articles of silver and articles of gold. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Furthermore, the man Moses himself was greatly esteemed in the land of Egypt, both in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of people. Then Moses said, This is what the Lord says. About midnight I am going out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of the Pharaoh who sits on his throne, to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the millstones, all of the firstborn of the cattle as well. So there shall be a great cry in the land of Egypt, such as there has not been before and such as shall never be again. But not even a dog will threaten any of the sons of Israel, nor anything from person to animal, so that you may learn how the Lord distinguishes between Egypt and Israel. And all these servants of yours will come down to me and bow themselves before me, saying, Go out you and all the people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. And he left Pharaoh in the heat of anger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, so that my wonders will be multiplied in the land of Egypt. So Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh, yet the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the sons of Israel go out of his land. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we come before you now, Lord, and we ask that you would make this truth come alive to us, Lord, that you would perform that miracle in our hearts, that you, Lord, we know you are God the revealer. And so, Lord, reveal yourself through your word this morning. Transform our hearts, God, and most of all, glorify your son, Lord. Glorify your son through that transformation. Oh, Lord, we love you and we pray that this happens uh, God, that you would, you would do this mighty work here now in Christ's holy name, amen. You all may be seated. And I believe this message is very important for us to hear this morning. Uh, has anyone ever had someone break a promise? Yeah, everyone's hand should be up there. Everyone has had a promise broken, uh, it's, it's either because, when that happens, it's either because the person who made the promise is lying or the person who made the promise was too weak to follow through. But friends, God, see, is neither a liar nor weak. He is the sovereign ruler, the good promise keeper. He's not like a, a toddler who, who's promising to protect their mother from a nuclear attack. universe who is making this promise. I want, he's the covenantal God who wants relationship with you. And he's the one who will unilaterally in his own power take care of you. And, and we see this play out because not even Pharaoh's earthly rule could stop what God was doing. And he upheld the covenant of Abraham that he had made, and nothing was going to stop him from keeping his faithful promise. And that's because he is the one who made the promise, is the sovereign ruler of all things. And friends, too, since he's been faithful in all of those old promises, we know that for us, he is also faithful in the promise of the new covenant that we celebrated just this morning, that, that there is a certainty of the rule of Christ that guarantees a favor for his people. That is a beautiful thing. Look, if we are to hold any promise in Scripture, we must first assume that he is the ruler of all and that he's able to, to keep those promises. Friends, we either know God as the sovereign ruler or we do not know God at all. The sovereign rule of God is so important for us to recognize. And it's either going to do one or two things in our hearts. For some imagining this sort of Total control will be the most terrifying thing that they will experience. But for those that are his, for the people of Israel in the story, it was the greatest comfort. It was the source of certain salvation. And friends, that can be also the, the source of comfort for us, knowing how certain his rule is for his people. And so in this passage, we're, we're seeing God is revealing himself through his sovereign rule, and he's displaying his power and wonders amongst the people. And this comes about in two ways. First, we see that God reveals his gracious sovereign rule over his covenantal people. And then we see that God reveals his just sovereign rule over those who resist him. 
And really, they're almost, they're very closely related because it's all about Israel, right? It's all about his people. And, and that's why this judgment is coming because of the stubbornness of Pharaoh. So let's look at this first point here that God reveals his gracious sovereign rule over his covenantal people. Firstly, God alone brings the deliverance through his actions. Verse 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Moses, One more plague I will bring on Pharaoh and on Egypt. And remember back in chapter 7, verse 5, He will bring the people out of, out of Egypt by great judgment, he says. And notice the narrative often includes God talking as if he's taking this action himself that he is the one doing it. Even way back in chapter 3, it says that he will come down and deliver his people. And notice that, that Moses, in his own strength, when he's trying to figure this out, it never works out well for him. Right? He's like, I don't know how to speak. I don't know how to do this. Moses is simply just the tool that God is graciously using. Really, we, what we're seeing here is that God is a sovereign ruler, and he brings about the deliverance by himself, his, his own way. We also see this happen later on, even in, in verse 4. God himself, it says, goes in the midst of Egypt as the judge. You see, Moses and Aaron, they were, they were tools at best. But the life of Moses really could be, uh, our series could be renamed, The Sovereign Rule of God, which Moses graciously participates in. But that would be quite a mouthful, so we'll leave it just as the life of Moses. But the, the point is this, God is the one. Who does the work? God is the one who sets people free in this passage. And it's the same for us, brothers and sisters. There is nothing we can do to earn the gracious favor of the Lord. We cannot give this great ruler who owns everything something that he doesn't already have. There's no service we could offer him, for he is, he's perfect and perfectly satisfied in himself. And you see, while most other kings need people to do their bidding, to sort of help rule, God's not like that. God instead graciously lets us participate. We have a king who himself does the work. He is the king who fights for us and graciously acts on our behalf out of his own abundance, needing nothing from us. A king who can make a promise, choose a people Make a promise to them and see it through in his own strength and power. We also see here that God sovereignly assures the deliverance of his people from captivity. It says, now the Lord said to Moses, one more plague I will bring on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. Then, When he lets you go, he will assuredly drive you out from here completely. Here God, the king of the universe, is promising that after this upcoming plague against Pharaoh and Egypt, they will be totally free to go. When the Lord is done, not only will Pharaoh uh, not make Israel stay, it says he will be eager to see them off. He wants to get rid of them. He will force them to go. And here is what happens in chapter 12, verse 31 and 32. After the plague takes place, it says in verse 31, Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron at night and said, Rise up and get, get out from among my people, both you and the sons of Israel. 
and go, worship the Lord as you have said. Take both your flocks and your herds as you have said and go and bless me also. Right? Pharaoh is reduced to someone who is, is ruling exactly what God wanted the whole time out of, out of God twisting his arm to do so because God has such great might. And it was so sure. I mean, I mean look at this. It's, not, it's, it's, it's so certain. He's eager to get rid of them. Pharaoh. He calls for Moses and Aaron at night even, right after it happens, gets them and says, you need to leave immediately. Just as the Lord had said. Just as the Lord had promised. And thus they're liberated. They're free. They get to take their animals by, and, and go by the command of Pharaoh through the Lord's sovereign rule, displaying his power over him through the plagues and through the judgment as was promised in the beginning And when God's sovereignty, friends, is aimed at our liberation, it is certain. When the Lord sets you free, you're free indeed. And if you are his, we too have been set free by the sovereign will of the Lord who favors his people. Your salvation is assured by such a great power. The God who forced Pharaoh's hand to set free Israel is the God we have. And friends, Christ is the sovereign ruler. He shall reign forevermore. And when he comes back and and, and wants to establish his kingdom, and, and he comes back, nothing will stop him. Our freedom, too, in Christ is certain. This is the God we serve. I'm glad that God is a sovereign ruler. And that he has this kind of power to laugh in the face of kings. And to to make people of power and presidents do whatever he wants them to do. What an amazing, powerful God who is working for his people. No scheme of the enemy can overrule him. We are free from even the captivity of our sin. Not even death and sin could stop his rule. That's why he rose from the dead. That's why the resurrection is so important when we're sharing the gospel because that's, that's the thing that guarantees it shows his power. It reveals him as the Lord of all. There's no persecution we can face, no struggle, no sin that can nullify what God has sovereignly declared yours in Christ Jesus if you are his people. And friends, this This being, if he has chosen to love you, for those that are bound to him in the new covenant of his blood, he rules not against us, but he rules for you. He has freely promised that, and he will see it through for our freedom, for our flourishing. What a good God. If you would just stop resisting his rule, you too could see that he is more than just a king, but he is a good king who desires good things for those that are his people that he loves you and wants you to be free from the power of sin and death and wants you to be saved into the kingdom where he has a righteous and good rule forevermore. Verses 2 and 3, it says, Speak now so that the people hear that each man is to ask of his neighbor and each woman of her neighbor articles of silver and articles of gold. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. So, so all the Israelites are told, ask your neighbors for silver and gold. 
right? The, the Israelites not only get to leave, but they get to leave wealthy with gold and silver. And all they had to do was ask, right? Imagine, I mean, we're not even hostile with our neighbors. Imagine going up to your neighbor and saying, hey, could I have all of your silver and gold? They're going to laugh at you, right? And these people are of a totally different culture. These are the Egyptians. And they just give it over. They just give it over. It says, the Lord gave the people favor. It was only easy because the person orchestrating this and making this happen was the Lord. Again, this is no coincidence. This favor from the Egyptians was brought about by God. Verse 3 makes it clear. The Lord gave the people favor. Favor. And when the sovereign Lord gives you and I favor, it's just that easy, isn't it? This was not something they could have done in their own power. I mean, they were enslaved to the Egyptians. It's, it's, you think it's going to go poorly with your neighbor, it's going to go even more poorly with them without the hand of God at work. But when God's favor is on them, all they do is they simply ask, and the Egyptians are plundered. The reason they had this favor, again, God brought it about through the display, through the power, through the wonders, through his rule and his judgment. They could not deny the stamp of approval that God had placed on his people. And so they were greatly esteemed. They, they, they feared the Israelites. They esteemed them. Moreover, if you're still not convinced that this is, uh, you know, oh, this must just be a coincidence, you can tell this was planned as far back as even Exodus chapter 3, verses 21 and 22, when God calls Moses at the burning bush. Even there, he says, I will grant, again, that first person uh, pronoun, I will grant this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and it shall be that when you go, you will not go empty-handed, but every woman shall ask her neighbor and the woman who lives near in, uh, who lives in her house for articles of silver and articles of gold and clothing, and you will put them on your sons and daughters, so you will plunder the Egyptians. They plunder the Egyptians because God grants that to them in his absolute sovereignty and favor for his people. We also see it's not just the nation, it's individual favor as well. It says, furthermore, the man Moses himself was greatly esteemed in the land of Egypt, both in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. So, so moreover, it says, Moses became greatly esteemed in Egypt and even by Pharaoh's own servants, right? The ones who swore allegiance to, to their king, they're esteeming Moses. God looks out for his people as a whole. Yes, they got the gold and silver as a nation, but here we also see he blesses his servants individually as well. Moses, you see, he was not the ruler of the people of, of Israel. He was a servant to the true ruler, which was God. And when you're a servant of the Most High God, God will bless you. Here he blesses Moses with esteem from Egypt, and particularly, again, Pharaoh's servants. And we'll see this play out, actually, in verse 8, when, when Moses prophetically speaks of how Pharaoh's servants will bow to him after the plague and let him go, and his people go. Indeed, because of the wonders, they knew who God's people were. They could no longer believe the lie that Pharaoh who was esteemed as this Egyptian false god, Ra, was this great ruler. 
Moses, the servant of God, was more esteemed. Instead of the servants of Pharaoh, it said the servants of Pharaoh knew Moses, the servant of the I am. They're starting to see now God at work. And so we see favor and esteem granted to God's people, both corporately and both individually. And if you're God's people and if you're a servant of God, his abundant favor is chasing after you. Whether you recognize it or not, whether you perceive it like that or not, it is chasing after you and the Lord will rule and whatever he has ruled in your life is good and it will come to pass. His sovereignty, oh, it's so good. He can make the most ridiculous things just happen for us. He will make a way where there is no way. He's provided for, for me time and time and time again. He takes care of his servants and blesses them with favor. People have just seemingly made decisions that they otherwise wouldn't make. The right people show up out of nowhere because he is the sovereign ruler over every person. He even controls how others view you. And so how how can we apply this? Well, that means in a very real sense, a very real sense, when someone is, for example, choosing to hire you after that tough interview, then... It is really the sovereign God's doing. And so we can thank him. Do you see, this this should produce such a spirit of gratitude for the ruler that we serve. The kind of favor he bestows upon his people in in turning all things to bless us. And we might not even realize it. You know, sometimes that interview will will think it will go well and then, then they say no. That too is the sovereign Lord's favor on you. I pray you recognize that as well. We can thank him in all things because this sovereign God cares for us and is in a covenantal relationship with his people. So so the principle is not per se physical prosperity or physical outcomes, but certainly it will be in the end when we're all, uh, you know, with Christ ruling but, but in, this, in this time, really the principle is for us to lean on his sovereign rule and trust that he is directing the world in a way that is advantageous for his people. He has blessed us, it says in scripture, with every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ. That's the new covenant promise. That's the, the rule of the new covenant. That's a life of perpetual peace knowing Christ is on the throne that I'm a citizen of heaven, guaranteed there is a place for me. He is preparing a place for you too if you would partake in this covenant. One by the blood of the Lamb. We also see this, that God sovereignly provides an escape from judgment for his people. Not unimportant to note, this passage is directly related to the inauguration of the Passover This is the promised certain outcome of the final plague that we are reading about now in chapter 11, that all Egyptian firstborns die. But though this is promised in chapter 11, it really doesn't come to pass until chapter 12, verse 29. And and in between there, before that actually comes to pass, there is a salvation from this judgment given by God through the Passover practice that God instantiates. His people are saved from the judgment through the Passover blood. 
And verse 7 gives us a description of an unharmed Israel. It says, But not even a dog will threaten any of the sons of Israel, nor anything from person to animal, so that you may learn how the Lord distinguishes between Egypt and Israel. Reference here for the dog, often considered a lowly and contemptible animal in these ancient times. It's reinforcing the idea that the Israelites won't face any threat from a man, from a beast, even something as lowly as a dog will not bark. It will not threaten them. Nothing has power to harm them. The Pharaoh uh, doesn't have power. Nothing has power. This is conveying the idea of comprehensive, total, and absolute safeguarding of his people. And again, the purpose of this was to distinguish those that are his chosen covenantal people and those that are not. This is to say that every false Egyptian god fails to protect its people. The Pharaoh has no power and that everyone is wrong. And there is only one God, Yahweh, greater than all other gods who decided to save his people whom he has chose for himself to identify with. And as mentioned, this is total protection by which God gave his people an escape from judgment. And it was by the blood of the Passover lamb in chapter 12. And so God stamps his approval on Israel and inaugurates the Passover. And now this is important to note. It's important to note that Israel and its people were worthy of judgment. They too were not perfect. They too, in their own ways, and we actually see it happen later on, form their own rebellions against the king of kings, don't they? If God was going to judge righteously based off of of, of sin, they too would be dead. But God chose for himself a people, and he was able to pass over them not on the basis of their works, not on anything they could give to him. Remember, God's the ruler. He needs nothing but based off of the blood of the Lamb. Indeed, all of this, Pharaoh's hard heart, the judgment, the subsequent uh, inauguration of the Passover practice, it's all paving the way, you see, in in the meta-narrative of Scripture, the big picture of, of the true revelation of God himself. It's great symbolism for Christ in this new covenant that he has revealed to us. This true Passover lamb, the firstborn of all creation, the precious lamb that died, providing us an escape for judgment for all of his people. There is a new covenant in Christ's blood which guarantees salvation and guarantees an escape of this great judgment for anyone who would believe in him. And just as God was faithful and able to preserve his his people in the Old Testament, he is faithful to preserve us. The reign of Christ, again, is so certain, the salvation so guaranteed, and also it is so freely given, not on the basis of our works. Friends, if you feel this in your heart, I pray that you respond to this, that you wouldn't harden your heart like Pharaoh, but you would pray to God and acknowledge yourself as a sinner, as one who has tried time and time again to overthrow his sovereign rule, and that he he should judge you for that as he did Pharaoh who rejected his rule, but that he also gives grace. He has provided an escape 
of judgment or escape from the judgment to you. Praise him, he has provided that Passover lamb that is Christ, who is the exact image of the Father who has come and he's lived among us and died as a payment for our sinful rebellion that we may live. And that he rose from the grave. And then joyously submit yourself to that. It will be the best decision you have ever made. I beg you to consider that. And if if you don't, we see also God's, God's rules just the same. You can't win the war against God. It's already lost before it begins. God reveals his just sovereign rule over those who resist him. Pharaoh, it's a different story, right? The sovereignty of God in his decisions to rule for his people takes a different shape in the stubborn man's heart, doesn't it? He was stubborn to submit to the rule of God. From the beginning, Pharaoh has been totally resistant. In fact, when Moses first returns to Egypt and spoke with Pharaoh, here's what Pharaoh said in Exodus chapter 5, verse 2. It says, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? To let Israel go. I do not know the Lord. And besides, I will not let Israel go. Do you see what's happening here? It's, it's, again, the battle's already uh, won before it's even begun by the Lord. But Pharaoh is seeing himself as the grand decision maker who gets to decide what happens. I will not let Israel go anyway. I don't know who this Lord is. And then what's happening is God is revealing who he is as the sovereign Lord through each plague. And as each plague happens, Pharaoh's heart gets harder and harder. And he's more resistant and more resistant and more deluded in thinking that he is the king when God is the king. And you see, the sovereign rule of the Lord, it's either going to take the shape of blessing in your life or because of your resistance, it will take the shape that it takes here in Pharaoh. Pharaoh does not know the Lord. He does not care to know the Lord. He will set himself against the Lord. He wants to be that sovereign ruler. And he even doubles down after that and even makes the Israelites work even harder. Right? And then come all the plagues. Chapter 7, 8, 9, and 10 all describe the plagues. The water is turned into blood. The frogs overtake the land insects and boils and hail and darkness and all of this happens and here is Pharaoh remaining resistant not truly humbling himself before the Lord again the repeated theme it's undeniable in the narrative is this hardening that is taking place in his heart even right before our passage in chapter 10 verse 28 Pharaoh thinks he has the power to rule and threatens to kill Moses if he comes back He's still, after all of this, deluded into thinking he is the sovereign ruler. Deluded into thinking that he can wage war against Yahweh, the I Am, the King of Kings who is revealing himself. The battle, again, is lost before it even begins. And some would spell out the narrative here like it's one in which God and Pharaoh are having a battle of the will, but Scripture explains it as one in which Pharaoh is so pathetic and weak that he becomes a tool to display sovereign judgment and reveal who the true king is. Unlike Pharaoh, who has no true power, who makes threats to kill Moses and then can't even do it, and then performs cheap tricks, we have a God who displays true power, who makes himself known, who makes his sovereignty known, and he did so here through judgment. 
First, we see that God alone sovereignly judges over those who resist him. Remember, for Israel, this same verse, verse 1, I will bring them out, it was used in a positive sense, wasn't it? It was like, oh, he's setting them free. For here, with Pharaoh, with this resistant heart that he has, now that becomes negative. The sovereign rule now is against Pharaoh. It says, one more plague I will bring on Pharaoh in Egypt. The Lord is, is now bringing down the plague himself. Verse 4 says, this is what the Lord says about midnight. I am going out into the midst of Egypt. Again, all these first person pronouns. I am doing this. Just as the Lord alone sovereignly blesses his people and gives favor by providing a way of escape from judgment and delivering them from captivity, God is sovereign in the judgment of those who resist him. Though the actions of the Lord indicated great hope for Israel, it indicated great judgment for Pharaoh. And so Moses describes what will happen to Pharaoh again in verse 4, about midnight, that darkest time. That darkest time, God says he himself is going amidst Egypt. He is promising a judgment for Pharaoh's foolishness. And at midnight, it says he will go out for Israel. That midnight hour was one in which they were safe in their homes eating the Passover dinner. Midnight, it's either that occasion for praise or that occasion for terror. It is the case for the Egyptians that it is a moment of terror. And now it's clear from our text in verse 20, uh, and verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 23, and verse 29, that the Lord himself is doing this passing through Egypt, and he's, he is striking down the firstborn. He is the one deciding who lives and who dies. He alone is this judge. See, God is not like man who makes empty threats. He is the warrior king who comes down and takes action against the rebellion. He comes to righteously judge any who oppose him, and he's not afraid to judge those who resist him. And there is no possible escape from this judgment. Death was coming, whether Pharaoh liked it or not, no matter how many guards he had set up that night to protect him. No army could stop what was happening. God cannot be bought with riches. Pharaoh was powerless before the sovereign rule of the Lord and his righteous judgment. Pharaoh thought he was the ruler, sets himself against the Almighty. Now the Almighty is displaying who he is through the judgment of those who reject him. And friends, like I, I know this is sometimes difficult to hear, but likewise for us, there is an ultimate ruler and a judge, and it is not a man. It is not a parent, it's not a boss, it's not a president, it's not an earthly court, it's no human king, it is most certainly not us. We, we don't rule. The judgment belongs alone to the uncreated, perfect, sovereign Lord. He himself went out and judged Egypt in his sovereign reign and judged in his perfection the Egyptians to reveal indeed that he is the only judge. Friends, that is what is revealed here. And there is an appointed time of judgment from the Lord. And I can't stand up here and delude us all into thinking that there is not so many churches, false churches, are, are lying to us, telling us that we can do whatever we want and that there is no coming judgment. But he himself, he went out 
and judged Egypt in his sovereign reign. And there were consequences. And I'm here to tell you that the Lord does judge those who resist his rule. Don't harden your heart, friends. Don't harden your heart. Let God be God and delight in him. Don't be like Pharaoh and say, who is the Lord that I should, should obey him? He's revealed himself. He's doing it to you right now through the scripture. Would you not resist that? Would you enjoy that revelation of who he is? Otherwise, it will always end miserably. The rebellion never stands. The awful news is at some point, we've all had a rebellion in our heart, haven't we? We've all spit in the face of God the same way Pharaoh has. And yet he has decided to save us. He's decided to extend this beyond Israel for all men into a new covenant with, Christ, with Christ's blood where this judgment now, can, can, there can be an escape from it. It doesn't have to happen. If you would just humble yourself before him. If you're sitting here, friends, and you're feeling angry at God and his ways and you don't want him to be in charge, and you prefer to do things your own way, if you're resisting his necessary rule, he cannot cease to rule. That's part of who he is. If you're resisting that, I beg you to stop. To acknowledge his rule is good, to turn to Christ, who he has graciously revealed to you this morning, and that you would delight in who he is. There is no need to receive this judgment. For he has provided a Passover lamb through Christ. And you can be a part of the people now who he rules for in his sovereignty. Because of this great revelation of Christ. Isn't that good news? We see if you don't though, it will mean severe loss. It says verse 5, All the firstborn of the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne. To the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the millstone. All the firstborn of the cattle as well. God declares here, all firstborns will die. And, and this is significant because in ancient cultures like this, this, this firstborn thing was very important. They were considered the heir, the inheritor of the family's wealth and status. This was the line of succession. The firstborn was really everything, and the death of the firstborn therefore represents a profound, irreplaceable loss for the Egyptians. And again, as the sovereignty of God works against those who resist him, it works for those who are his people. Something uh, interesting here that was also noted while I was reading a commentary, someone said that the Egyptians sought to subjugate the Hebrews by means of a planned genocide, but instead they are punished and obliged to liberate the Hebrews due to the death of their own firstborn. God knows what he's doing when he's ruling, when he's making these decisions. Look at the nature of this judgment. It's not just Pharaoh. It's a universal judgment from the throne to the slave. Even the cows are, are, are killed here, the firstborn cattle. And again, I think the point was, as the text says, to draw a distinction between Israel and the God of Israel and Egypt and all of these other false gods and false rulers and while this severe judgment came upon Egypt, Israel remained blessed, remember. God is revealing himself as the one who aligns with and speaks through Israel. And so after that loss of the firstborns, it's undeniable who the true God stands with. 
He doesn't stand with Pharaoh or the Egyptians, gods like Ra, they couldn't protect them. All foolishness, God alone is revealed as the one who is the great judge and who is for Israel. And this judgment, again, it was severe. It says, I don't know if I have it here, do I? I don't have it here, but verse 6, if you have your Bible, you can look at it. It says, so there shall be a cry in all the land of Egypt, such that has never been before and shall never be again. We like to think of this as, oh, wow, interesting story. I like to try to get us to imagine. Imagine waking up tomorrow morning and everybody in America has lost a child. That's going to make national news. It's going to make international news. That's going to be a huge deal, a total, I mean, people would probably start going back to churches and being all confused because they know God has done something here, right? Imagine that happening now, and now across the whole nation of Egypt, there's a cry, and the firstborn, even, even the significance of the line of succession, all of that, and we know it's fulfilled in chapter 12, verse 30. It says, Pharaoh got up in the night, he and all his servants and all of the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was no home where there was not someone dead. There has never been a cry like this before, and as the scripture says, there never will be again. This was a divine stamp of approval on Egypt, on, on Israel, excuse me, and disapproval on the gods of Egypt. All who awoke found their children dead, but the Israelites, fine. Not a coincidence. Couldn't possibly be. It is the stamp of approval on God's people that distinguishes them from everyone else. Again, remember, it says that this happened so that Pharaoh may learn how the Lord distinguishes between Egypt and Israel and that God's wonders will be multiplied in the land of Egypt. God wants to reveal himself to put that stamp of approval on, on people who would, who would just stop resisting him. But there's nothing but tragic and severe judgment that comes through the hardness of man's heart when they resist God's rule. What's our lesson? God has revealed himself. He is the one who wants to be known, like Paul was talking about last week, but he also wants to be known as the sovereign ruler. Moreover, especially now through the revelation of Christ. He wants you to be in a covenantal relationship with him through Christ's blood. He wants to invite you not into captivity, but to, to be a member of this blessed certain kingdom that he is establishing, which he rules himself. Let's go onward. Verse 8, it says, In the servants... Of yours, and these all these servants of yours will come down to me, bow themselves before me, and say, Go out, you and all the people who follow you. After this, I will go out. And he left Pharaoh in the heat of anger. We see that God's sovereign, judge, uh, sovereign judgment it causes submission anyway. You know, you can't escape doing what God wants you to do. Pharaoh couldn't escape it. The servants couldn't escape it. Once the judgment was shown, it actually caused Pharaoh's servants to obey Moses. They, they start doing what, they, what, what God wants them to do, regardless of their resistance, their initial resistance. And same with Pharaoh later on, regardless of his resistance, it always comes about that whatever the Lord wants will happen. 
These people who swore to obey Pharaoh alone in his courts, in light of God's judgment, come down, bow themselves low, and, and let Moses and his people go. They cannot help but tell Moses and all of the Israelites, go out. Eventually, everyone submits to the will of the Lord. Here, even these servants serve God's purposes, even, even Pharaoh's servants. Even amongst the pagan nation, God will real, rule over them and cause them to do his bidding. Every act of defiance will only reduce to submission in the end. It says this in Scripture. It says, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You might try to resist. And all that's going to result in is judgment. You will still acknowledge him as the Lord. But friend, I pray you get to do it as people of God who is ruling for, not ruling against. Oh, don't hard, harden your heart, friends. One day, he, all will bow before him and he will judge. It's unavoidable and this will happen. You'll either bow down joyously before him or you will bow down out of compulsion like Pharaoh would. But the king of kings, regardless, he will be bowed too. We see, coming close to the end here, we see that God sovereignly shows his, his power to the unbelievers. Again, that was the main point here. It says, verse 9, Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, so that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. That is the purpose behind all these plagues, the hardening of the heart, so that he could be known. Again, think about what came from all this, even the Passover Christ, symbolism, it's all, it's all part of the plan. God wants to reveal himself to people. Now, what is interesting here is Moses knew from the beginning that Pharaoh wouldn't listen to him. God's been kind of giving him the details. He's just giving him a script almost, like, here's what will happen. You'll say this. Pharaoh will do that. He will not let you go, right? And so now it's playing out in the section in, in verse 4 to 8, right? And, and he does this. And it says that he uh, leaves in the heat of anger from this confrontation with Pharaoh. And so I think that when God speaks now again to Moses, he's reminding him of why Pharaoh is exactly is rejecting him. Why Pharaoh, uh, the, the purpose, why Pharaoh is not letting them go. And again, it was a purpose that God was in control of and it was to show more of himself. Again, to create that distinction so that the people would know whom God allied with and that he would reveal himself to the Egyptians. As noted earlier, we will either know God as sovereign ruler or we will not know God. His rule is inseparable for who he is. And for the Egyptians, these judgments were revealing that rule, proving all other gods to be false, that the God of Israel may be seen as the God most high. God wanted their attention. He wanted their attention. And friend, he wants your attention too. He wants to reveal himself to you. Maybe those difficult life circumstances shouldn't be seen as God's hate. And I want to be careful up here because I don't think we should perceive it like that at all. Like God hates me and so I'm being judged. But, but I think sometimes we feel that way. All right? And that's a, re a, a reality that we feel that way sometimes. But I want to say maybe Actually, it's God wanting you to know him. 
Maybe he wants your attention. Maybe he actually loves you so much that he wants to show himself to you. And, and you're, you're resisting that. I encourage you to think about that carefully. Those difficult life circumstances, it might be because he wants to bring you to a place where you finally recognize his rule. He wants to wrestle you and bless you as he did with Jacob. You might not yet be part of the fold, and I pray that you look at this, look at this message and notice this rule and that you would receive the grace that he has for you if he has called you. He wants to rule for you, not against you. Would you accept the grace found in Jesus and enter the kingdom? Lastly, we see that God is patient in the righteous judgment of those who resist his rule. This is sort of implied, in fact, by the whole narrative Um, Verse 10, so Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh, yet the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. He did not let the sons of Israel go out of his land. And his persistent disobedience, despite all of the signs God has been giving and revealing his ultimate rule over creation, despite everything, Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he did not let the people go. Now, this is, uh, I think, a, a difficult phrase that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And I think Paul explained some of this last time, so I don't want to be too long here. But I, I do want to share my sort of personal conclusion. Uh, we begin first by asking, what is being hardened? It's the heart, right? The inner man, usually associated with the deep desires one has. It is that with that Heart, which is being strengthened or hardened. I believe, again, I liken it maybe to wet clay that's hardening, right? I believe as each plague occurs, this hardening that is done is is hardening the clay of the inner man's desires. It's strengthening what's already there, that resistant spirit in Pharaoh Pharaoh from the beginning has set himself against God's rule and each plague comes, it's, it's, his, his heart is strengthened in his wicked ways. It's, it's hardened in its wicked ways. Pharaoh wants that rule for himself and his inner man. Now God being the true sovereign ruler of all, that is the God who cannot cease to rule, it's impossible for God to not rule. It's inseparable to who he is. By his will to bless Israel now rubs up against the Pharaoh's heart. This inner man is rubbing up against the rule of God. As God is set in blessing Israel and as Pharaoh is set in ruling over them, this hardening happens. Pharaoh is rejecting God's sovereign choice to bless his people. Pharaoh hates God's rule, and each plague that comes, again, sets Pharaoh's heart harder and harder and harder. So so in one sense, Pharaoh's heart is hardened by himself, as it's indicated in several texts, as he sets it against God's rule. But in another sense, it's, it's hardened because God necessarily is the ruler who Pharaoh continued to reject, and he cannot be overthrown. I believe God hardened Pharaoh's heart by ruling for Israel but that Pharaoh was still responsible for rejecting that rule. Though this matter can be quite confusing, uh, I I did want to share that as sort of my personal conclusion on that point. Um, But I do want to caution us to be careful. There's a lot of opinions on that. And I I encourage you to study it yourself and explore it and pray. Uh, I mean, that's the heart of Protestantism, picking up your Bible yourself and learning, right? So 
I encourage you all to do that, and maybe we'll chat about it more after. But regardless, from this limited perspective we have here, one thing is clear. Pharaoh's not seen as a good guy here. I think we can all agree on that. Do not be like Pharaoh. When God reveals his rule, humble your heart before him. Accept that rule. God has revealed himself uh, to you. Would you rejoice in who he is? Now, interestingly here, God is not just, God uh, did not just slaughter, you know, Pharaoh initially. He withheld this judgment despite knowing over and over again that Pharaoh is going to be rejected or a reject from letting them go, excuse me. Uh, I don't think God is taking pleasure here in this judgment of Pharaoh, but to, to, he wants him to, but he's just, he's just ruling over, over him as if, as if he needed anything from Pharaoh, right, to be happy. Rather, he wants the wicked to come to him. He wants to offer, offer Egypt a chance to see him so they know who he is. So God, through the ten plagues, he's displaying his prolonged patience, really, with Pharaoh and with Egypt. He wants people to know him. And eventually, though, this delayed judgment has to take shape. And here it does through the killing of the firstborns. But ultimately, Pharaoh chases the Israelites right into the Red Sea. And after he changes his mind another time, he chases them into the Red Sea. And then we see the Red Sea collapse on him, right? This judgment was very prolonged in the, because of God's own patience. He is a patient God. And the truth is, um, he wants us to acknowledge him, and he wants to wait for us to, to come to that realization of who he is before the judgment. And again, the truth is that we have a big problem, don't we? We all know we've had this rebellion against God, this rebellious spirit. Um, we're all like Pharaoh, said the Lord, said to the Lord, um, I sh- who, are, who are you that I should obey you, right? But thank God that this message is not disconnected from the Passover and that we have a Passover lamb who is looking out for us. I pray that you would accept that grace today, that you wouldn't harden your heart, but instead surrender to his good rule and favor for your life. Uh, again, the sovereignty of God will either be the greatest terror or the greatest comfort, and God wants it to be your comfort. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. I pray, God, that you would, um, that you would do a work in, in your people, God, and all those who you have called, that you would do that awesome work. Um, and that in this place, those of you who don't, those, those who don't know you, Lord, that they would come to a saving knowledge of who you are uh, through who you've revealed yourself to be in Christ. Oh, God, I pray if, uh, if there was anything that was unclear in this message, Lord, that it would be forgotten. But if there was any truth, that it would be remembered and, and clung to, O oh Lord, that we would cling to it. O oh God, we thank you for this word. We thank you for all that you have done. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen.